you're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Denim Audio Network. Well, hello and welcome again to The Way Home Podcast. This is your host, Dan Darling. I am so glad to be with you today, coming to you from the campus of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and Texas Baptist College. And uh, we have a great interview lined up for you today that I'm very excited about. However, before we get to that, I want to share with you a few things. Uh, First of all, I wanted to make you aware of a new kids book that is out that is co-authored by myself and by my friend uh, Brianna Stensrud, who worked for Focus on the Family, several Christian publishers, and does a lot of work in the pro-life movement and on immigration issues. We have been thinking about this project for a couple of years, and it's finally here. It's, it's a children's book on human dignity, how to help kids understand that every person is made in the image of God, you know, how sin came into the world and sort of distorted the world and causes humans to turn it in on one another. It's called The Biggest Best Light, uh, shares the gospel in a way that kids understand it and shares a lot about human dignity. Uh, It's available for pre-order if you want to get it. It releases end of this month. It's called The Biggest Best Light. You can go to my website, danieldarling.com. You can go to any retailer and find out that book. I wanted to mention one other thing. We're nearing the end of the year, and I know many of you are thinking about your end of year um, sort of tax implications and ways that you want to give. And I want to make a special appeal. If you like the work that we do uh, here on the podcast and with my newsletters and my books and some of the things I'm doing at the Land Center, if you'd be interested in giving to the Land Center uh, and to do that, We'll have links in the show notes, uh, but you'll need to give to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and designate in the uh, space to give. You, you pick other and designate Land Center. Type in their Land Center if you give online, or you can send a check to the seminary address and uh, designate in the memo line for the Land Center. If God puts something like that in your heart, we'd love for you to give and be a part of what God is doing with us. Okay, I want to get right to this conversation today on the podcast. My good friend, uh, Dr. Bart Barber. Bart is the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Farmersville, Texas, which is in the DFW area. He's been pastoring there for a long time, at least a couple of decades. He is just a really great speaker. He's a great thinker, but at the heart, he's a pastor. But beyond that, he is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He was elected last year and uh, really grateful for his service, for his leadership. Bart comes on to talk about pastoring uh, during difficult times uh, the last few years, to talk about why God he feels called to this leadership post at this time, leading the SBC, and also what's distinctive about Baptist theology, what makes us distinct from other evangelical traditions. And so I think you'll enjoy this conversation with my good friend, Dr. Bart Barber. All right, I'm glad to be on the podcast here with my good friend, Bart Barber, who is the pastor of Farmersville, First Baptist Baptist Farmersville, and also the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Bart, you've been on before, but glad to have you on to talk all kinds of things. 
My friend, Dan, it's always good to be on with you. Thank you for inviting me today. So I'm really excited uh, to talk to you about a number of things. First of all, we were talking before we got on about the St. Louis Cardinals, which are, are yes. the ne- nemesis of the Chicago Cubs, of course. But even this cranky Cubs fan is rooting for pool holes, and it's so cool to see him break the record. How do you feel about that? I'm very excited about that, and I want to be magnanimous uh, in return and say that I was I was happy to see uh, if the Cardinals couldn't win it, the Cubs win the World Series the year that they did. You know, in general, I love the Cardinals. I'm going to be excited about anything good happening for the Cardinals, but also anything that makes me say, how can you not be romantic about baseball uh, is a good thing in my estimation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's such a great sport, and we're headed into the playoffs now, which is pretty cool. You know, one more thing on baseball. I don't love the DH in the National League. I like National League baseball. However, small silver lining is that it allows folks like pool holes to maybe have a little bit more, a few more years on their career, you know? It, it does, and I dislike the DH uh, so much, but uh, really the only tenable solution is to eliminate the DH root and branch, right? Yes. And to harry it from the land, because the fact of the matter is players uh, start, before they ever get to professional baseball, training along a DH-aligned path. Yeah. And so to, to eliminate the DH as we should – Pitchers need to keep up their batting skills all the way through their, you know, their their high school and college experience coming into minor league ball. So, so you know, in, in an environment like this, for a guy like Pujols to stick with it and do what he's doing, uh, the DH opens a path for him to do. Yeah, that. it really does. So, Bart, uh, you are pastor First Baptist Church of Farmersville. You've been there for a number of years. Before we talk about kind of your role as SBC president which I'm excited that God has put you in this position. But let's talk about pastoring. You know, um, this has been a, a, diff- sure. a difficult few years to be in leadership in any level, just with so many challenges, whether it's COVID, whether it's racial tension in the country, polarization, political polarization all over. You know, I'd say the last five, six years have been really hard for a lot of pastors. You talk to a lot of pastors. For you and leading a church and pastoring, what, what has been kind of the key – are a few keys in terms of leadership leading through these seasons. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you have to give glory to God and credit to him for anything good that happens. And I did not have the wisdom or foresight to say, let me start at a church in 1999 and stay there because in 2020, we're going to have this global pandemic and uh, we're going to have all of the factors that you mentioned. I will say that it's been tremendously helpful throughout the political polarization in the United States, throughout the difficulties presented by COVID for offering pastoral leadership to a church, and even for what we're going to talk about later, for being a part of the Southern Baptist Convention and taking on the responsibility that I've taken. It makes an enormous difference to have been here 23 years and working on 24 in the midst of that. And my heart goes out to folks who were in year two of their tenure at a church having to uh, having to work through some of these issues. I am thankful to say that I'm hearing from a lot of people that they've survived that time, that having survived it, it brought closer together the people who had to walk through 
the pandemic together and through other issues together, you know, that they, that they learned lessons uh, in leadership. Uh, the main things that I would say, in addition to having a good, healthy, long tenure before you get into something like this, is just the importance of people knowing that they're being listened to. And when people appreciate that, it's easy to help. It's easier to help them to see how valuable it is for them to listen to others. Mm. That's been critical here. When you have people who really would like, if they could get past, you know, the security officials and whatever else, really would like to inspect Anthony Fauci's hairline for a six 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 tattoo somewhere <laughs> because they because they think he is uh, an agent of Satan. And um, when you put them in the same congregation with people who, I think our congregation is not alone in this, having some people who are, who are still wearing a face covering of some kind to, to services and the things that they're doing together with people, when you have those two people who are in the same congregation together, you know, the, the only way that they survive is if you remind them that they love each other. Mm-hmm. And, and if you, and if you can say to them, okay, I'm not asking you to concede that the other person is right. I'm just asking you to care about them. Yeah. That's all I'm asking you to do. And I'm asking you to ask yourself, are your thoughts about COVID so important? And are you so much of an expert and so confident that you're right, that you're happy to see a believer not able to go to church? Mm, mm. because because you want to stand by, you know, your thought about things. And so, you know, what what we have tried to do as a congregation throughout this whole thing is to try to look at what people were doing in their daily lives and give them an opportunity to engage church on the terms that they had negotiated with work and the grocery store and everything else that was around them. Mm. And explicitly to say that we're not trying to change your status quo. We're just trying to give you an opportunity to incorporate corporate worship into what your status quo is. So I know you didn't ask just about COVID. You're asking about other things, but I think those principles transfer to a lot of the other things mm-hmm. too. love each other, listen to each other, leave space for disagreement and prioritize where you can say, man, I think they're wrong about politics, but I'm glad they're in church because the gospel is more important than that. Mm. That's really good. I mean, it seems like this was the season that really of all seasons required kind of a shepherding approach to pastoral Mm. ministry, which I've always felt is kind of the dominant leadership model in, in scripture. And it seemed like that bore fruit this time. So let, let's talk a little bit about um, you becoming Southern Baptist. You're president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Kind of what this has been like for you. And as you look back on your life and kind of things that shaped you to get to this point, what is God doing and showing you uh, uh, in this role? Primarily, God is doing and showing me that I don't know as much as I thought I knew. Uh, that is a, that's a daily experience for me. People tell me that they're praying for me, and I say, please keep doing it, because every day I have to make decisions that I'm not sure what I'm doing. And it's only by the uh, miraculous wisdom that God's promised us in the book of James uh, that uh, that any of it is going well at all. Uh, but I'm encouraged by the number of people who do pray 
for the president of the SBC. And, um, and, and because of that, I'm encouraged by the number of times that I seem to know the right thing to do. And I'm equally encouraged by the number of times that I do the wrong thing and it works out. Uh, and I think that's because I'm not talking about morally wrong things, unless somebody uh, construe that to mean something different than I do. But I mean, I mean, something like this. I had an interview with 60 Minutes, CBS, uh, Anderson Cooper. That was not. Uh, so we're recording this on a Monday. Uh, it was not yesterday. It was the Sunday before that, that weekend that they came out to Farmersville, went to the farm, went to church sat down to do an interview with me. And really the best advice that I've gotten from everybody was make sure to keep your answers short. You know, don't, they're going to, they're going to build a structure and they can only use the material you give them. So be terse, be careful with what you say and, and whatever you do, don't talk too much. I ended up giving them at least five hours of footage <laughs> to, to construct a 20 minute segment of them. So it was, it was not uh, what I'd been advised to do. And um, I just found that, Dan, it, it's, it's not a skill I have not to listen honestly to someone's question, take it seriously and try to answer. But I, I think we haven't seen it yet, but from talking to the editors and whatever else, I, I think that's going to turn out. Okay. Mm. That should be published. I think probably in the next 14 days. If it does turn out okay, it's not because that advice wasn't good. It was good advice. I think the prayers of Southern Baptists mean that I can make mistakes like that and enjoy God's protection in some ways. So I've just discovered that Southern Baptists pray a lot, that there are a lot of Southern Baptists who are very encouraging. I get emails and text messages every day from people saying, I'm so thankful for you. Yesterday I came back in from the culmination of the most difficult 14 days that I've had. I just lots of travel, lots of delayed and canceled flights, lots of real struggles. And I looked and sitting uh, in my inbox was a, a letter in the mail from the Southern Baptist who gave me a tractor supply gift card to go buy boots to keep my fancy boots clean when I go out on Sundays after church to feed my cows. So, <laughs> Uh, you know, Southern Baptists are, are thoughtful and joyful and amazing folks who are cooperating to uh, reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that that's true now in ways that I did not know it was true before. I know how much I depend on their prayers. I know how effective they are. So I want to ask you. I feel like I kind of meandered. No, that, so ask me specific questions, maybe. I feel like I meandered. Now. No, that's a great answer. Um, when you are SBC president, Obviously, you're in the headlines and there's a lot of things going on, you know, that could be negative, could be positive, you know, that people are talking about. But one of the things you get to do is you get to kind of go around and see all the work that Southern Baptists are doing, whether it's on the in their churches, in their communities, whether it's through disaster relief or the IMB missionaries, the NAM church planners and so many things are our, our educational institutions. Has that made you I've, I've talked to people who have said. They were kind of ambivalent about the SBC, or maybe they, they were SBC, but they maybe thought there's too much you know, fighting going on. But then when they were able to actually see what Southern Baptists are doing, it really made them actually positive uh, about our convention. So 
how has that been for you to be able to, you, you kind of already knew what Southern Baptist were doing, but as president, you obviously get a much closer look. How has that been for you to kind of see the good work that Baptists are doing? So I'll, I'm going to correct the question in one way. No human being is capable of seeing all yeah. that Southern Baptists are doing together. Just geographically and, and, and schedule wise, not possible for a person to do. But I have gotten to see more of that than I've seen before. And I'm so encouraged by it. Going to our seminary campuses and our university campuses. So far, I've preached in chapel services at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, which is a state-affiliated Tennessee Baptist school. Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest. And then Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in uh, Louisville. Kentucky. And then this Thursday, I'll be with you over at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary on Thursday. Yes. Uh, in Fort Worth on Thursday. And, you know, in every case, the students that you meet, if you take the time to do it, meet students, ask about their stories, see what they're doing. It's amazing what God's calling people to do and, and the ways that he's at work through them. I have been to, I spoke at the meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee. Uh, did that last week. I sat in meetings that would be as close to, uh, you know, if, if people think that there's, if, if people think that there are smoke filled rooms or whatever else in the SBC, uh, if there's anything like that, I've gotten into them. Let me tell you what I discovered. Uh, I've discovered people who are representative of a broad swath of Southern Baptist life who uh, are committed to openness and transparency, who in good faith, uh, want the Southern Baptist Convention to serve well the churches that are part of the Southern Baptist Convention. And um, and the other thing is, they're every one of them to the last person seriously smart and devout. I'm just, I'm encouraged from the, from the meeting of the Great Commission Council. First time I'd ever been in one of those. And I was in one of those last week. Uh, the Committee on Order of Business, very important committee in the life of the SBC, the SBC Executive Committee, in every context that I meet these people in leadership of the SBC. Um, it, it reminds me of God's condemnation in Isaiah, where he tells the people uh, of Judah that he's going to deprive them of good leadership, basically. He's going to make sure that people who wind up to be kings and princes among them are totally unfit to wear the mantle of leadership. God is certainly not doing that to Southern Baptists. Mm. Uh, God is giving us very good and capable leadership in so many slots along the way and very, very thankful for that. One of the things I think that's unique about you being SBC president and really, really refreshing. I mean, we've been served really well by our past presidents, Mm. but one of the things about unique about your position is that you, you are president coming from, you know, a mid-sized church that is probably a bit more rural than maybe some other, you know, leaders who have pastored maybe big mega, sure. some of our larger churches who are doing great work. And so it's not like a, you know, small church, yeah. big church divide, but it does give you a unique perspective that perhaps First Baptist Farmersville probably represents a lot of the churches that are SBC churches. And so how has that perspective you think shaped the way that you are able to lead in this moment? I appreciate both your acknowledging that distinction and being careful in the way that you worded it. 
uh, both of those things are important. I was talking to a guy about rural ministry last week when I was at the SBC executive committee meeting. I'll tell you who it was. It was Gordon Fort, mm. who uh, has long served with the International Mission Board. He was talking about how in his first pastorate, his best evangelistic plan was to go help farmers who didn't go to church get their hay in. When they were looking for labor and they would hire him and he would refuse pay. He would work all day with them, refuse pay. They said, well, I've got to pay you for this. You've helped me get my hay crop in. And he said, here's what you can do to pay me. Come to church on Sunday. Mm. And they said, well, the roof will fall in if I go to church on Sunday. And he said, I promise you it won't. <laughs> so so he used that approach. And, um, you know, he brought that up to me because he knows that I serve in a more rural context. And I said to him, you know, people saw that resolution on rural churches and rural ministry. And some people took that as a small church versus big church kind of thing. But the fact of the matter is most of the guys who are serving in the big churches, somewhere in their ministry, they've served at the rural church. You know, it's a, it's an element of the Southern Baptist convention that touches most of us and touches it in ways that are sometimes perhaps unappreciated. I think if it has an impact on the way I approach the presidency, it's just, it's just in this. I'm accustomed to everybody in my church being able to get a hold of me. And so uh, I'm also pretty accessible as president of the SBC to the degree that I can be. I mean, sometimes I get a backlog. The, the last two weeks have been unbelievably busy. Mm-hmm. And really the last five weeks have been have been pretty intense. And like I've worked through a backlog this morning, partially of people who reached out to me with a Twitter DM or a Facebook messenger. I just started barely on trying to get to everybody on that. And, but I expect that people ought to be able to hear back from me. And I, I try to live up to that. That's, that's kind of a smaller church thing, right? And it's not, it's just done because that's what my life's like as a pastor. Also the annual meeting, we have business meeting every month. I do this all the time. So uh, I think you'll see some of that uh, and my personality reflected in the way that we conduct the annual meeting this year. I think also the rural approach, the idea that there's a, a mindset that's maybe a little slower, a little more peaceful, a little more uh, inclined toward learning to get along with one another. Hopefully that is something I carry with me in trying to bring together factions in the Southern Baptist Convention uh, to try to cooperate with one another for the cause of the gospel. I want to I want to shift a little bit. I mean, one of the things I've always liked about you, Bart, is that like I feel like. And I've told people, like, if you cut Bart open, he bleeds Baptist. I've always felt that about you. You know, um, part of that is because you you love being Southern Baptist and you, you love pastoring a Southern Baptist church. But also you you have made uh, it a real priority to study Baptist theology and Baptist distinctives, even mm-hmm. particularly mm-hmm. religious liberty and other things. You know, there's ongoing conversations today among Christians about you know, how should Christians live in the world? How should we interact with politics and stuff? And I, I don't want to wait into like ongoing debates, but if maybe you could, you could share a little bit about what makes Baptists distinctive in the way that we approach the, some of these, some of these things and the way that we, we see ourselves in the world in terms of the way we interact. Well, that's a great question. So, you know, Baptists have always ever only wanted to be people who lived out the ideals of the New Testament. At least that's what we've claimed about ourselves. You know, I think we've all heard people say, I love Baptists for who they think they are. <laughs> you know, that's 
uh, that's not unimportant. I think that, you know, as Baptists, one really good thing for us to do at this moment in our life is to study the history of who we've been as Baptists, to to reach back to some of those earlier days. And, and here's why. Not just for Baptists, but across the, the broad swath of Christianity, one of the major repeating narratives that you can find, kind of a theme in, in Christian history, is that groups who attach themselves to certain ideals when they're small, poor, and persecuted sometimes have trouble carrying those ideals through to when they're large, rich, and in power. And a great example of that would be the Mayflower Pilgrims who fled to Amsterdam because they were small and poor and persecuted and then eventually wound up sailing on the Mayflower across to Massachusetts Bay. And they created a colony where they were a supermajority. And after a very difficult start, they reached the point where they were prospering. And so for that small pond, they were the big fish. They were, they were large, they were wealthy, they were in power. And then they, they were the persecutors against Roger Williams, Nobadiah Holmes, and people who held Baptist conviction. And so, you know, in the same way, we as Southern Baptists uh, had a time when we were small and poor and persecuted as Baptists. And now, you know, we're in a time where we've had considerable political influence for a number of decades uh, in American politics. And I think we need to make sure that we still believe what we believed before, uh, especially since there's a lot of concern that we're going to have trouble remaining large and wealthy and powerful. And people get really nervous about that, although we've been there before. Mm-hmm. The Baptist commitment is really simple. It's easy to explain. We have believed in a free church in a free state. Mm-hmm. We have taken seriously passages like the one I preached two weeks ago, that we should pray for everybody around us. And that includes people who are kings and who are rulers with authority over us. And that our purpose in this, I said this in my sermon, I'm, I'm sure my congregation prays for, for the president, and the vice president, for the governor and the lieutenant governor, prays for all of these people in authority. But it's not pray for them that God would move them to lower your taxes or pay for your college debt, or, you know, take whatever your policy position is, praying for them in the same way you lobby. Prayer is not lobbying. Uh, But instead, what 1 Timothy 2 tells us is that we're to pray for them in order that we might be able to lead a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and, and dignity. And so... That has been uh, the Baptist vision for a long time, that God has not authorized government to govern our relationship with God, that a person's relationship with any church or system of theology should be able to change without their relationship with the state changing at all, that government does have authority Mm -hmm. to govern the way that people interact with one another, kind of what Roger Williams and others have called the second table of the law, Mm. stealing and killing and and all that sort of thing. 
that we should as citizens encourage government as it discharges that God-given authority to do so in a way that, that punishes what's bad and rewards what's good. That's God's intention for the, for the function of government in the world. And we can act as a conscience to try to help persuade government to act in that way. And that in an environment like that, where we can lead a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and dignity, where we can do that, uh, we'll be in a position to have some influence on the people around us. And the most important part of that is not that we achieve great laws, uh, but that uh, we have the opportunity to tell people in the same text, okay, right after that, it says we get the, that there's one God, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And so all of it is there to serve the cause of the kingdom of God, to proclaim the gospel among people who are lost. And our prayers are that our peers and our rulers would be led by God to lower obstacles to our sharing the gospel. Mm. That's something that has worked amazingly well in the United States of America under the Bill of Rights. Uh, even even if we want to do more, even if we look and people want to do interviews and say, oh, evangelicals dying, evangelicalism is dying uh, in the United States of America. That prediction has been made before. I don't know that we ought to take it all that seriously now. We just need to be about our work. And the fact of the matter is there's no man-made document in the world more powerful for the advancement of the gospel than an American passport. Mm. Mm. We have the we have the financial means and the freedom to travel mm. around the world that has empowered the missionary enterprise of churches like Southern Baptist for for uh, a long time now, uh, a couple of centuries almost. And so God has given us that freedom and that ability to proclaim the gospel in this environment of a free church in a free state. Who who has a theonomy anywhere that's proven to be more fertile for the spread of the gospel than this environment mm. has. And so uh, I thank God for what we're able to do as uh, evangelical gospel proclaiming churches here in the United States. of America. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, what we're not saying is we want a naked public square. You know, we we actually want to push our, yeah. you know, we want to, you know, our Christian ideas motivate us into the public square on all sorts of issues from religious liberty to the sanctity of life. And actually, I think Baptists can say, right, Barton, correct me if I'm wrong. We want a nation that is influenced by Christianity. We just don't want the government putting the finger, the foot on the scale in favor of one or the other. Cause we know that doesn't end well, right? Is that, that's kind of a lay v- version of, of, of what, what we're saying, right? Well, you know, in our context, for sure, uh, we live in a republic that operates through democratic means. And so as Christians who are citizens, we want our faith to shape the way we vote and the things that we advocate for, because we believe ultimately that Christian virtues lead to the flourishing of humankind. And so so if we love other people, we'll vote in ways that move society in that second table of the law toward wholeness and health and we believe that christianity represents that so it motivates us to go that way it's not a naked public square it's a public square in which we advocate for christian perspectives but importantly it's an environment in which we must persuade people about that in order to see that go forward and there's nothing wrong with that 
for us to be for us to be in that shape. People live in other contexts as well. I've met Cuban Baptists. Cuban Baptists don't have a whole lot of influence in the way that their government uh, chooses to adjudicate right and wrong issues. And, you know, there are Baptists in um, all sorts of other kinds of, of nations around. For them, the calling of Christian citizenship looks a little different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even they are advocating for uh, Christian virtue in the public square. It's just that other people do it with less influence than we have. when We can go to a ballot box and vote. Mm. And uh, they're doing it at more risk than we have, where we can look and say, nobody can prosecute me for advocating for a Christian point of view. Mm, mm. That's really good. Well, Bart, I've already taken too much of your time, more more of your time than, than you anticipated, but great conversation. Glad that you are in uh, leading us as Southern Baptists and uh, want to do like a lot of other folks have done and uh, urge people to pray for you in this season. I think you're the right man for, for this moment. Just thank you for, for all that. And we'll, we'll, uh, encourage folks to check out more, to follow you on Twitter, to check out your books and other things, but thanks for joining us. Hey, I'm so thankful to have been able to, to join. I'm thankful for the work that you're doing with the land center at Southwestern seminary. Thankful for the, the voice and the presence that you have beyond the Southern Baptist Convention. As a Southern Baptist, I think that people who are not Southern Baptist, even who are not Christian, to meet Dan Darling, have an opportunity to think, gosh, that's one of my favorite Southern Baptists out there. In the same way that I look at you and say, Cubs fans are tolerable because uh, Dan Darling is here. And I enjoy interacting with him. So thank you for all that you do for Southern Baptists and for Southwestern Seminary. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit DanielDarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at, at @dandarling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. Podcast.